Welcome to 20 Minute Topic, I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as ever by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. Today, we're debating the future of the NHS. Greg, the NHS was the brainchild of liberal academic William Beveridge, who wrote the Beveridge Report during World War II, where he outlined his blueprint for a national health service, and it was based on three assumptions, all of which sounded reasonable at the time, but all of which turned out not to be the case. And those assumptions were, point one, as people got healthier, demand would decrease. Point two, demographics would remain roughly the same. And point three, the whole thing could be paid for out of the stamp, i.e. national insurance. Now that we know that those three assumptions are incorrect, is the NHS model fundamentally flawed? Let's look at its foundations a little more closely. Firstly, it was Lord Beveridge, William Beveridge. Mm. Um, he was a lay, uh, sorry, a liberal peer, um, which is a commodity which is uh, rather vanished these days with um, the interference by the European Union in breaking up the centre ground of British politics. And it was actually agreed between all three parties. Mm. Uh, the Tories, the Labour Party and uh, the Liberal Party, that whichever party won the election would implement the beverage plan Mm. Um, or, to be more accurate, the beverage report. Mm. This was to prevent the health service and provision of health service becoming a political football. Unfortunately, Labour won the election and they put in charge of implementing the beverage report, Aniram Bevan. Mm. Unfortunately, Aniram Bevan saw fit to alter the beverage report on political grounds. Mm. And his politicising of what had been a completely non-political report uh, sowed the foundations for today's miseries within um, the beverage report as implemented to make the National Health Service. Now, by that do you mean, uh, on the subject of Bevan, that Beveridge's vision for the NHS was for arms-length local health boards around the country? What Bevan then created was an NHS run by government. And that that made it politicised from day one, did it not? Um, Basically, the Beveridge report stated that it was to provide health services and it was a national health service to be administered by the health service and funded by contributions of the public. Nowhere in it did it appear that it was to be funded or administered by the government. Mm. So, yes, the way you have put it is true, and even when you look at the detail. Mm. The problem was also that the National Health Service was what it was described as, to consider national health. And it was to aim to provide basic health service for people at the point of need, free of charge, i.e. prepaid from 
a form of taxation. Nowadays, it no longer seems to be a national health service. It has become a national lifestyle service uh, with people having cosmetic surgery of uh, selective nature. This is something to, to do with costs and there have been considerable medical advances, particularly in the two or three decades after Beveridge made his report, something he couldn't possibly have foreseen. And in the years beyond that, we're going through another revolution at the moment, you know, keyhole surgery, which wasn't possible 30 years ago, is achievable now. And as we've discussed in previous podcasts, the 5G revolution is going to mean huge changes in healthcare yet again. So there are demands on the costs and the charges to the NHS in, in various ways that Beveridge could not have foreseen. But is there not an element of personal responsibility in all this, in the way individuals use the health service? Has the time not come where GPs have to be a little bit tougher in so far as saying, look, the solution to your headache is you need a packet of paracetamol, which you can buy for pence in any chemist or any supermarket, and have individuals now got to grasp a little bit more that if you're just feeling a little bit under the weather or a bit snivelly, your first port of call should be the pharmacist and not your GP? I think the first port of call, if you've got a headache, is go and drink a pint of water mm. um, because many headaches are caused purely by dehydration. This is um, true. I think the the other aspect that you overlook is that um, or have not mentioned is that there are all sorts of treatments taking place uh, that I really cannot see as being um, a part of uh, a health service. For instance, if somebody sees themselves as a lavatory wall and covers themselves in graffiti, I really, at their expense, I really cannot see that it can be the responsibility of the National Health Service to remove their Gatsby tattoos. Mm. Um, if they can afford to hang, make themselves look ridiculous, they can afford to cure it. Um, and if they can't, well, perhaps they should accept responsibility for their own malady. Um, there's also an element that if I was to go abroad to absolutely any country, I would make sure I had the relevant medical insurance so that I, I pay in my way if I need to be treated there. Should we not be a bit firmer with those who are visiting this country to ensure that they're paying their way? Uh, I think um, that we have had a state of health tourism um, for many years. And although it is uh, widely attributed to the European Union, um, you'll find that um, for uh, at least half a century, um, there has been a steady influx of um, patients from such countries as Nigeria, where they don't seem to have any health service, um, to this country um, to have all sorts of costly treatments. And um, although certain politicians have been castigated for it, there is absolutely no doubt that in the early days of AIDS, um, there were people coming to Britain because they had AIDS, because they knew they would be treated free of charge here, whereas in their own countries they would have received no treatment or had to pay for it for themselves. Um, I do not see that we are responsible 
for the woes of the world. If somebody comes to Britain and um, is involved in a motor accident, um, I am perfectly um, happy to see them uh, treated for that motor accident and its immediate effects mm. in this country. But when they enter the country with the express intention of utilizing our health service, um, I feel it would be opposite to ask them to go home. Yeah, it would be a difficult thing to regulate because once people are here and they do fall ill, you know, we, we have to be humane enough to treat them. If, you know, if people are on holiday or here on business or here for any reason for that matter, it would be inhumane not to treat them. But I think we need to be a bit firmer in that people who visit this country for whatever reason should be expected from the moment they land to have the relevant insurance in case these things happen. Um but I, I think it's a big drawback to your statement. Mm. Um, yes, uh, in broad brush, you're correct. However, I, I dislike this uh, euphemism for falling ill. Mm. Uh, it's a bit like falling pregnant, isn't it? Um, people do have a rough idea what causes it. Yeah. Um, does that mean that if they are expecting um, a difficult labour or um, problems... Um, with the child at birth, mm. it is opposite for them uh, to fall into Britain, to fall into our health service mm. uh, because they f fell pregnant. I think not. Mm. Mm. But at the same time, people who are visiting this country and have heart attacks or road accidents or anything else, uh, yes, it's right that we treat them, obviously, but that we very often find that there are people who have these sort of misfortunes whilst they're here who have not got the relevant insurance. And that is something, particularly as we leave the European Union and, and leave various schemes associated with that when it comes to medical care, medical care, that is made clear to those visiting this country that they do have the relevant insurance. I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And um, that we have had an open-door policy on health um, has been an embarrassment to our health service. Yes, yeah. And going back to the three um, assumptions Beveridge made in, in his document when his blueprint for how the National Health Service would, would, would operate, and we have demonstrated, I think, that the three assumptions have proven to be incorrect. But it's not difficult to find, and I find this through conversations I've had, representatives from both the Conservative and the Labour parties uh, civil servants, policy advisers, everyone involved in the mechanism of government who will tell you that they hope that the party other than their own will be in government when the NHS collapses because it's seen as a political hot potato that the radical reform that is needed will upset a lot of people and they're just hoping that when the evil day comes and the whole thing collapses on itself, the other party will be in government. I think that the sooner we begin to look at this with a much more open mind the better it will be for all of us. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers to this because whenever anyone, it seems to me, in this country criticises the method by which the NHS is funded, they say that the, the, the standard throwback that comes back at you is, is a comparison with the United States of America and their health service. Now, indeed, I wouldn't want to go down the American route, but there are other countries in the world, continental European countries, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore where I think we could learn what works and what doesn't in their health systems 
and apply it to our own. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers, but whether that's a form of compulsory insurance or a mixture of public and private, I think we need to start looking at these things. I agree, but perhaps you and I are making the mistake of thinking it's to do with money. Um, It's very easy to say, chuck more money at it. Firstly, it's not a bottomless pit Hmm. of money. Hmm. Secondly, I don't think it needs more money. I think it needs a damn sight better and more competent management without yet more managers. Ah, uh, yes. Now, we, we had the example, didn't we, of um, the, 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 the experienced businessman, Sir Jerry Robinson. He went into that one hospital in Northamptonshire. And what he did, this is going back some years now, is he introduced some quite straightforward changes to the working mechanisms of the hospital and it ended up working in a much more efficient way. And these changes were actually quite straightforward, like asking people to work an extra half hour a day, and they're being, from memory now, I can't remember every detail of it, but when one nurse comes off shift and another one takes over, there being a handover period to ensure that that particular process goes smoothly. Um, and there were also issues with procurement. Now, procurement's a big thing, which, going beyond the Sir Jerry Robinson example, across the NHS we see examples of this. If a new uh, hospital is opened and that hospital is going to need 100 telephones, what you do not do is pick up an Argus catalogue and order 100 office phones from there. You go straight to BT or to Binatone, and they will treat you as a supplier, and you can pick up those 100 phones because you're buying so many for a fraction of the cost you could from the Argus catalogue. And there are examples across the NHS replacing light bulbs, um, office equipment, um, the, the buying of beds, the buying of chairs. The NHS's track record in buying these things in an efficient and a logical and a business-like way is not good. Government's way of buying things is not good. Hmm. At the moment, there's um, something of an expose going on in Mickey Mouse land in Cardiff Bay at the... Uh, National Assembly for Wales. Hmm. Where National comes from, I've no idea, but um, it's costing them. They have costed uh, light bulb replacement at £240 per light bulb. Hmm. Um, This is not uncommon. Hmm. Um, Laughingly, people will say, is it an insurance claim or is it for a government department? (laughs) Oh, whoopee Mm. Uh, we can charge what we like yeah well well, yes but looking looking at the situation in the nhs then we have adequately demonstrated how procurement from everything from furniture and this extends to drugs as well as i understand it how on earth okay we had the example of sir jerry robinson and that what the work sir jerry robinson did in that one hospital in northamptonshire where he got it operating in a much more efficient way that was not extended to the whole of the nhs despite him offering to do so is the solution to get somebody from a business or an entrepreneurial background into the nhs to ensure that procurement is happening in a proper way because with the, the thing is i find that whenever you you criticize these aspects of the nhs very often particularly people from a trade union background will come back at you and they'll they'll start telling us what a wonderful job the doctors and nurses are doing whereas that's not the point i'm making the point i'm making is that it could be run in a much more efficient way so is the solution then to get somebody from an entrepreneurial background to come in and run the nhs to ensure that it's being done efficiently and there is not waste 
Um, I think indubitably. Um, let me give one simple uh, example. Um, up until a few years ago, you could walk into the NHS and you could look at um, a, a £2 million um, accelerator for uh, radiotherapy um, and the um, highly costly installation in specialist operating rooms that were um, screened and vented to the outside, etc., etc., probably at a cost of something like £5 million per item. Mm. And they worked six hours a day. Mm. Um, nowadays, at least, um, it is good to see that they are using these industrial pieces of equipment um, for considerably longer hours each day mm. and also operating them on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, because it is rational um, to run them on an industrial basis, uh, whereby uh, they work on three eight-hour shifts a day, mm. seven days a week. Mm. This needs to be done a great deal more in different areas of the health service. Mm. All that is true, and I go along with that. But I want to go back to this idea of, of patient and personal responsibility. Do we? There's two aspects to this, I think. Point one is not going running off to the GP for very minor things and accepting that the pharmacist can help you pretty well, but you will be charged for your over-the-counter medicine. And point two, as an outpatient at a hospital myself, um, that we are. There's a notice up there saying it costs something like 120 pounds for every missed appointment. Now, I think patients need to be much more aware of this that if you are not going to make your hospital appointment or need to rearrange the onus really should be on you to put that phone call in at the earliest opportunity to say you're not going to make it because we as patients need to be much more aware of how much things really cost I think. There is one aspect of the health service that I think um, could work miracles and that is that if every patient had to pay for their treatment when they had it or within 30 days or some such mm. um, at full price and sign for that treatment they could then claim it back from the funding department mm. they would a check to make damn sure that they weren't paying for open heart surgery or brain surgery when they only had an ingrowing toenail de dealt with, mm. thus um, making the system more honest because there are known instances um, where it is being fiddled by people uh, mm. for profit. Um, secondly, it would make them aware of just how much they were absorbing out of the system mm. And thirdly, it would keep a monitor making sure that the third party, besides the patient, was checking when they paid. Yeah, there, isn't there a flaw in that, though, in that a lot of people, and I include myself in this, for very expensive operations, we simply don't have the money to pay? Not a problem. Uh, you would go through your own GP... Mm. who would be running the funding department and they would endorse 
the payment. I, yeah. I did say payment within 30 or 60 days, mm -hmm. and it would be your responsibility to make sure they were paid. Do you think there will be an NHS in 50 years' time? Yes. In its current form? No. I think it will appear far more privatised, mm. and the sooner the better, if it's to survive. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say privatised, um, it is a method of effectively privatising it to make the patient responsible for the payment, even if they claim it through their the national benefit system. Mm. That is no longer an NHS responsibility. And the more we can break up the NHS in that manner, the better. My thanks as always to Greg, and my thanks to you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>